this isn't just about protecting your business. It's about developing a differentiation, embracing digital society in a responsible way and bringing the whole of society forward at the top level. So this change and focus on cybersecurity and privacy here, we see as a really, really positive step and something that every organization should embrace. We present The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parkill. Today's episode is on the revisions to ISO IC 27001. Hello, this is Matthew Childs and welcome to The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards. Playing us in at the top of the episode there was the voice of BSI's David Mudd. And he was talking about the revision of ISO IC 27001, the standard for information security management systems. Now, in order to maintain their relevance, standards are regularly reviewed and revised. Sometimes nothing changes, sometimes very little, but often more significant changes take place. And this is the case for 27001. And it's because the digital landscape itself is changing. More and more of us are remote working and we're using our own devices at work and pretty much everything is being stored in the cloud. 27001 has been revised to reflect this global evolution. And not only that, cybercrime is on the rise and new threats are emerging all the time. So in this episode, you'll hear my conversation with David about the changes to 27001 and why it remains such an important standard. And joining David is Vipel Sheth, from financial services provider Advanced Track Outsourcing. Vipel describes the experiences of his organization in using the new version of 27001 and other standards alongside it. Also in this episode, Cindy joins me for a standards desk of news, which has a bit of a techie flavor. We take a look at some of the latest stories on standards and artificial intelligence. And talking of Cindy, this is Cindy Parakel here with a quick reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. David Mudd is Global Head of Digital Trust Assurance at BSI, leading on a range of products and services for organizations, including management system certification, product certification, and training. And Vipul Sheth is Managing Director of Advanced Track Outsourcing, a provider of financial, accountancy, bookkeeping, and taxation services. E-accounting solutions, trading as Advanced Track Outsourcing, is the first organisation certified by BSI in the UK and one of the first 10 globally certified by BSI against the new version of ISO IEC 27001. In this first part of my conversation with David and Vipul, I started by asking David, why is cybersecurity so important? Cybersecurity is one key aspect of what is so, so important for us as individuals, as businesses and society in how we engage with the increasingly digital world. Over the last three years, we've seen a huge shift in a rapid acceleration of of adoption of digital technologies. And that's been of a huge benefit in how we can start to be more flexible about how we work. And as businesses, we can be more flexible with our supply chains and where we do business. But all of that comes with an added risk to it. 
And just as we've seen a huge proliferation of platforms as a service and software as a service, so we've also seen the industrialization of cybercrime. So we've seen you can now buy ransomware as a service. So everything that can be used for good can be used for bad. So just as we embrace this new digital world, a fundamental part of that is making sure we do it in a responsible and secure way. So the, the kind of angle for me that's really important here is we don't want to see this as a negative thing. Oh, you've got to be secure or you might get hacked. It's more to do with looking at that positive engagement with all the opportunities that the new digital society brings to us as individuals and as, as businesses and making sure we engage with that in a way that's responsible to us, to organisations, to our investors, shareholders and customers. Then, Vipul, David's mentioned there some of the sort of the context here, the sort of what's going on in the world in terms of uh, how organisations are operating and, and cybersecurity threats. Tell us about your, as an organisation, tell us about your overall approach to cybersecurity. I mean, David, you put the context absolutely right in the sense that the world out there can potentially be a dangerous place. Um, and the one thing that keeps me and my senior team up at night is that potential threat and have we done everything reasonably possible within our capabilities to keep our clients' data um, secure? And just to put some context around the sort of data that we handle, we handle accounting data for multiple accounting firms across the globe. So as you can appreciate, it includes tax numbers, income, and a whole array of data um, which, in the wrong hands, could be incredibly valuable. And so for that very reason, um, we have always had security at the core of what we do, what we offer, um, because that's what our clients expect. And in this increasingly, troubled is probably the wrong word, but this world where there are people, bad people out there, who want to get their hands on this information. So what we, our job is to do is do everything reasonably possible. Um, and we start by treating all client data as being highly sensitive. Because if you treat it at that highest level and manage it accordingly, even if it isn't, you've appreciated the potential threat and you've dealt with it. That's kind of our starting point. If you think about the... Um, the ways that we might expose the data to the outer world. Um, so, you know, attack vectors, attack surface, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, if you think of the, a very common thing is phishing through email, you know, lots of people will today have received an email that is not real, uh, but it looks incredibly real. And, but if you remove email, from your business to as much as you can, what you do as a consequence of that exercise of removing email from uh, everyone other than actually who needs it, um, you reduce the possibility that somebody could inadvertently do things uh, that compromises your organization's security. Um, you know, and we will use things like Microsoft Azure, which is a core component of our infrastructure enable uh, in order for us to actually um, reduce the risk of error because um, let's be honest most data breaches start not because you've not got a secure network 
it's because of human behavior. They've clicked through on something without checking, oh, was this really from the client? Was it really from the bank, et cetera? Um, because, or was it from DPD? I, you know, I, I'm naming these people and I don't mean it in a, in a bad way, not saying they've done anything, but it's the common interaction that we as real people have with uh, organizations that impact us on a day-to-day life. We just think it's normal. Oh yeah, I was expecting a parcel. So I'll click on that and that'll take me through, but actually it might be a compromised email. Some very good points just made there that um, cybersecurity is not just about technical controls. And you know, as we've just heard, the majority of cyber incidents and breaches have a human factor in them. But we need to move the discussion away from being people of the weakest link to people are the strongest asset, the biggest asset yes. you have in cyber defense. Yep. So I really think... And people within your organization, I'm sure, it, bringing your people along with you is so, so important with this in order to have a cyber resilient organization. And as we just heard, you know, it may be something, an email comes in and you click on it inadvertently. So to be on top of this kind of thing, we also need to understand this isn't a one shot. You do a bit of training and that never happens again. This is something where it's a cyber war there. There's constant little nuances and changes all the time. So it's very, very important as part of a cyber resilience program within your organization. You have a culture there that talks about these things that allows openness and is constantly refreshing people on the importance around this and bringing the people with you. I, th- I think what you just mentioned there, Michael, was so, so important that cybersecurity goes way beyond controls and it's largely around culture within an organization. Oh, Completely. And because we've had it inbuilt into our business for such a long time, even before we um, went uh, sort of to an accreditation process, um, when we, um, for example, receive emails inbound um, where people have sent us confidential information through unconventional means, shall we say, um, our team's response is, Please, first response is, we've received your email. Please, in future, use the secure protocol that we have in order to share information. Please don't send it to us on email. Because culturally, they know the importance of doing that. So we would never send out confidential client information, for example, on an email. We have a secure mechanism by which we would share that confidential information back to our customer bank and that, and that's so so important that you know as soon as it happens they recognize it and because I can't control all these people what I can do is teach them or show them the way that we believe is is appropriate uh, but simple so everyone understands it it's when it gets too complicated everyone's like oh is that okay is that okay whereas actually if you keep it simple in human terms yeah, it's much easier. I understand that. I don't have to second guess what Deadpool or Ian or the other senior team are thinking. I just know this sounds sensible. And therefore, because it sounds sensible, it's that smell test, isn't it? Let's, let's be honest. So if it smells right, yeah, it's probably right. Rather than there's this gray area, which no one really knows whether it's acceptable or not. 
Now, I'm, I'm glad you've both mentioned people and culture, because I want to come back to culture, especially around your organisation, Vipul, and also about the role that standards play as part of your mix and your overall approach to cybersecurity. But let's let's go back to, let's go to the, to the heart of this particular episode around 27,001, that particular standard. So, David, what is ISO 27001 and why is it such an important standard? So, 27001 is a management system for information security. So, it's not necessarily directly 100% cybersecurity. It's more than that. Um, but there are maybe aspects of cybersecurity that aren't it. So they're not totally equivalent. But it's basically global best practice for managing the protection of information assets throughout your organization. That also goes beyond directly your organization, considering what's coming in and what's going out as well, as we've kind of heard here a little bit as well. So it's it's within the ecosystem of your organization, including your supply chain, management of the security of the information assets. Information is by far just the most important asset after the people within any organization. So this is why it's so, so important. And what we've seen with the recent change, the name of the standard is the first thing you'll notice that has changed. It was information security um, and then security controls, management systems, etc. It now says specifically information security, cybersecurity, and privacy protection. So this is why, again, it's really coming to the forefront right now with its um, current um, transition to this new version that has just been released. Now we'll get to the we'll get to the main revisions in a second, but let, let's just stick in with the standard itself. You know, who's it for really, and what are the main benefits of organisations of adopting it? So it's actually for any organization at all. We have some clients who are pretty much, I would say, a sole trader up to huge global organizations with sites on um, on every continent. Um, and basically, as I said, it, it's there to provide protection around in, information, which is such a key asset. Um, and when you're looking at what does it actually do, the number one thing is it improves how you actually secure those assets. It provides tangible benefit, but it does that through, and we mentioned culture already, but building a framework that sits throughout your organization. This isn't just a set of technical controls to implement. This starts really with looking at your business objectives, and it starts with the leadership of the organization, um, stating out what their objectives are around protecting their information and the information of their clients and their supply chain and then works all the way through the organization, identifying the particular processes needed, the interactions needed, um, provides a risk assessment framework, and then a statement of these are the controls and things that apply, and this is how then it is then documented and implemented. And the final key part is it ensures there is ongoing, continuous improvement. And nowhere is that more important than in the field around cybersecurity when it's such a dynamic um, environment. So to recap very briefly, it's, it's there to protect information assets, and it does so by making sure that the whole of the concept is embodied throughout the organization, all the way through, including training, culture, ongoing, continual improvement. And that's what makes this so strong. Now, Vipal, from your perspective then, as an organization that's been using 27001, David has talked about some of those key benefits. I just wonder, what has been your experience of using 27001 as an organization? Has it brought those benefits that David has, has outlined there? 
Absolutely, it has. But what I would say is our starting point is, as a, as I said to you before, we even went down these um, certification route as a business. Um, we, I have, I, I trained as a chartered accountant in a smaller practice, then worked with two international uh, firms of accountants, and with that prism, you know, that um, of working in that sort of environment you you see what the world-class standards are expected um, of you as a professional, um, but equally uh, uh, across tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people on a global basis. So when you see that, you kind of say, right, if I'm going to run a business, I'm going to try, obviously, I don't have the budgets that those organizations have. But there is a framework that we as a business can adopt um, and what the stand you know the standards generally we don't use it as a checklist to run our business because I think the danger of using standards in that way is um, you're running it for all the wrong reasons you're not running it for the benefit of your customers your people or the wider stakeholder group what you have to do is you have to build a business that is um, addressing the challenges that all those key stakeholders have. And what the standard does is it makes you look at all the different aspects, identify where the risks are, and then you take the steps to mitigate those risks within your business. And I think that's really the way that we see um, are, and we've got multiple standards and, you know, I can talk about those in due course. Uh, let's focus on 27001. The key that 27001 does, it gives us that overall security framework that we can ad adopt across um, multiple teams, multiple processes. Um, and most importantly, the customer group that we are selling to are sophisticated buyers. So they want to know that we have put the appropriate processes and controls in place that secures their reputation because actually we're part of their supply chain. Yeah, we need to demonstrate to our customer base that we have gone that extra mile um, that gives them the comfort that they can sleep at night knowing we've done our best as, their, as a key provider to them. Now, Vipal, you did mention earlier on about some of the other management system standards that you use, and I want to come back to that and how ISO 27001 works alongside them. But let's just stick with, with, with the standard itself, 27001. Now, it's fair to say, David, isn't it, that 27001 is one of our blockbusters. It's a blockbuster standard as an international management system standard, and it has gone through some revisions. And obviously, all standards are reviewed on a regular basis. So, what are you, you mentioned you, you did start to talk about some of the changes earlier on, but Dave, what are what are what are the main revisions of this particular standard? Why have they taken place? So we've got we've got the why and then the what. So I think the why I gave some of the context there. There are there are three main re, main reasons why the standard is changing, and I will then kind of talk through the associated changes with that. The number one thing is the way that we live and work has changed, and the threats against it have changed, and because of that. The technical controls, which are listed in Annex A to 27001, and then are given in detail in its associated standard 27002, which is 
reference controls and guidelines have been fundamentally updated. There are 11 new controls and many people kind of zoom in on those and they cover things like management of cloud, um, threat analysis, um, things like web filtering and a lot of both the um, defense mechanisms and key issues that have come into play um, over the last 10 years since the last formal release. But the other um, controls have also been changed. Quite a few of the controls have been merged and others have been, the guidance has been updated. So there has been a fundamental review of the reference set of controls and the associated guidelines to reflect the way that we uh, live and work has changed in those threats. The second point, and this actually sits more around the reference controls and, and guidelines in 27002, but really important, is that there have been developments in the last 10 years or so in cybersecurity that give a different lens that is actually really valuable. So one of the key things around cybersecurity is we tend to focus a lot on building a wall. Have we protected everything? Um, every wall can be breached. Every lock can be picked. Yeah, every code can be broken. So going, we need to go beyond that building a wall and looking at what are we doing to identify current and future threats that are coming in? What are we doing to detect whether our wall has been breached and how do we respond and recover? So we need to focus on building a resilient system and process here rather than just build a wall. And some of the changes in the reference controls and guidelines now bring in a set of attributes associated with every single one of these controls that allows you to view your management system and the associated controls through different lenses. You can, you can view it through the lens of information security that says, am I protecting confidentiality, integrity, and availability? All those controls can be filtered and sorted like that. Or you can put a different filter on and saying, where am I in that process of identify, detect, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover? Am I just building a wall or am I building a resilient um, organizer or resilient system. So those very, very important changes allow you to take a look at the way you've implemented your management system through different, very important lenses. That's reason number two. Then the third change, and this I think comes on to what we're already starting to talk about, is how that sits alongside other management systems standards. So ISO have a harmonized approach and it's now 27001's turn to go through that process of change to bring it into line with that new consistent harmonized approach. Now the advantages to that are, it's very much focused on process. So um, it goes beyond just have you got controls and people in place. It requires you to look at what are your processes and their interactions needed to build an effective system. And that process focus um, is now consistent in 27001 as it is with the others. There are other various minor changes to bring it into line as well, but the biggest one is, is some changes with that process focus that now makes this standard consistent with other best practice management system standards. Those, those are the three main areas of change. We'll pick up the rest of my conversation with David and Vipul shortly. But Cindy, it's that time. Shall we have the standards desk of news? <laughs> yep, let's do it. Now, given that in this episode we're looking at the revisions of 27001, there's a bit of a techie flavour to the news. We start with a new AI white paper. 
Yes, the UK government has published its much-anticipated white paper on artificial intelligence, setting out the UK's approach to regulating AI. The white paper describes five principles, including safety, fairness, and transparency, that will guide the use of AI in the UK and for regulators to steer responsible AI innovation and maintain public trust in this technology. Yes, and it's worth saying that the UK government has long recognised the crucial role of standards in encouraging this responsible innovation. The white paper highlights the role of the AI Standards Hub, an initiative led by the Alan Turing Institute in partnership with BSI and the National Physical Laboratory in the UK government's vision for AI governance. And sticking with AI, with concern over the use of AI very much in the news, BSI has collaborated with leading industry players to produce BS 3440, a new framework for the use of AI within healthcare. Currently, at the draft for public comment stage, this standard specifies the requirements for the development of safe, effective and ethical healthcare AI products. These include both regulated medical devices and also AI products that are patient-facing and used within the home, such as smartphone chatbots. And if you want to get involved with the development of this particular standard, you better look sharp. The public comment window closes soon. And finally, a new standards roadmap for quantum technologies. Yes, to steer work on standardisation in this rapidly advancing field, the European standards bodies CEN and CENLEC have published a standardisation roadmap to provide a comprehensive view on the European standards needed for quantum computing, quantum communication and quantum metrology. The idea behind the roadmap is that standardization can stimulate the development of an economic system for quantum technologies within the EU. Quantum, Cindy, a bit difficult to get your head around. Yeah, it really is. This whole thing, you know, about particles being able to be in two different places at the same time. I'm sure I really get that. Yeah, same. It's all a bit mind-boggling, I must say. (laughs) Mind-boggling it is. Now you can find links to all of these stories, including how to get involved with BS 3440 on AI in healthcare in the show notes. Thank you, Cindy Parakil. Thank you, Matthew Childs. And that's the Standards Desk of News. Now, we finished the first part of my conversation with David and Vipul talking about the main changes to 27001. In this second part, I started by asking Vipul about his organisation's experience of using the revised standard. What we wanted to do was genuinely push ourselves to to be better than the rest. Um, How do you measure that? You can't. I'm not going to say that just because of this that, that that's the case. But I think it is important that you challenge yourself to um, improve on where you are. And part of that is you take opportunities uh, like this, which is a challenge in itself, um, to say, right, we have built a business and this is our 20th year and we've been certified for 10 of those 20 years. Um So first and foremost, it was, okay, so there's this updated standard is the way that I look at it. It's not, you know, I I don't think it's a throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's very much a, right, we have what we have. Let's see how, what that, what iterations we need to make to 
um, our business in order to comply with um, the updated standard. Uh, and I don't know whether it's appropriate to reference the fact that we have um, done some of the other standards which are in that new format, you know, that Annex A um, sort of look and feel. Um, uh, and that clearly, having that knowledge, that experience of having implemented multiple controls uh, to satisfy the requirements of those individual standards. But I think the biggest thing that I find that the up, updated standard that Annex A approach has is it very much takes a very practical, pragmatic approach to running your business rather than perhaps, uh, I remember when I was a financial auditor, not a um, standards auditor, um, where I would walk in and there would be the, the quality manual and it would be about eight files yeah, of, I've no idea what. Yes, I remember once asking, and I regretted asking what these files were. Um, so, um, and certainly 10 years ago, when we attained our first standards, it was much more mechanical than, than today, where it's much more aligned with the way we run our business. And therefore, you, you just... From my perspective, every business owner should run their business and then use the standards to actually tighten up some of the, the pieces that are, you know, part those moving parts to ensure that actually you then create that robust organization that happens to then fulfill the appropriate standards. And I think there's a very different feel and flavor today to our way of um achieving certification to perhaps where we were sort of eight, 10 years ago. I like this idea of feel, feel and flavour that, that, that it's changed over time. David, just as a, listening to Vipal talk and then sharing his experience of his organisation, I just wonder from, from your perspective, you know, what impact will the changes have on organisations generally, you know, making that transition to the latest version? And also maybe about an organisation seeking to adopt 27001 for the first time. Where is it from its sort of general perspective? Well, I really like... Ripple's description there of that new pr pragmatic approach and uh, maybe a little bit more flexible and somehow less less prescriptive. Uh, absolutely, it is, and that's very much been the intention. Um, as you as you said, it it's, relates much more to how you do business rather than a load of very prescriptive detail. Um, for organisations that uh, maybe not have been through the management system journey previously, who have got the previous version of 27001, the, these changes can actually seem a little bit daunting because before there were some very pre precise guidelines on exactly what to implement, particularly now as some of the controls have been merged and you had maybe three controls around a particular area, let's say access, that were very, very, that were very specific in saying asset owners need to um, review once a year you know, who, who has access and then various details around the process that were quite specific. Now that's been replaced by one overall requirement, one overall control that talks about having an overarching process for establishing, maintaining, controlling, etc. Now, if you've done, as we've just heard, for example, around throughout your organization, looking at how you do business and establish and you understand your processes and their interactions, the fact that the asset owner has to has to, for instance, review 
um, who has access once a year won't be a surprise and it'll be quite clear through who owns what part of the process. But if you haven't done that part of the process and you dive straight into these controls and see how they've all changed and you know, you're used to the old way of working, it can be quite daunting. So our guidance for clients who, have, who are going through this change, who are used to the old way and maybe haven't been through any of the other management systems um, standards that have been through the change, is to start at the top and work through the context of your organization to the new standard and really start to see how um, you need to define your processes and define who does what at the top level uh, before you dive into the, into the controls. So everything that we just heard, that's the real benefit. Once you've done that and you're embodying this new approach, your management system will easily sit alongside your business. It'll be much clearer for people to understand their roles in it. And overall, it's a much, it's a much more usable, flexible, and better way forward. Um, what that also means is for people coming it, into it for the first time, then they're coming into that with that new, fresh approach. And so, again, coming into that with that language straight off, I think, will almost be more intuitive. So I'd say that the, the, the organizations that we've seen that are seeing the challenges here are those who have adopted the previous version and the people involved with this are just involved with information security and haven't been working, say, around quality or one of the other standards that's been through this transition. And they're the ones that are probably struggling a little. And there is some work to do, I think, for those organizations to bring them up to the way that the new standard is working. But the benefits when they get there are significant, as we're just hearing. We have built an integrated business management system. So we don't have, oh, this is our 9001 manual. This is our 27001 manual. We have one business manual, and within that, we demonstrate how the individual controls that we're required to adhere to are, are then delivering to us as a business, some of which may be in the quality context, some which may be in a security or business continuity context. So it really will come down to, ultimately, let's run a successful business, first and foremost, and as part of that, let's build a system that helps us run it and allows us to be compliant with the the standards that we've decided to to, to go with. And sorry, and this is and this is where the harmonised approach really helps because what you'll find is the requirements are word for word the same across these different management system standards. So various of the clauses are absolutely identical. So you can just have one single process for managing a particular aspect would be valid for all of them. And that consistent approach in the standards facilitates this integrated management system approach as well, reducing the overall administrative burden, simplifying everything and allowing people to focus on running the business, not just running the system per se. We mentioned earlier on, uh, well, quite a few times about culture and about performance and about human-centered organizations. I'm really keen to explore, Vipul. You know, you, you've got 27,001, but you also use other management system standards. I just wonder, how do you do that? How do you approach that as an organization? And what result does that bring you? What are the cultural or performance benefits that that brings you? First and foremost, uh, um, having that integrated business management system the important piece is the consistency of messaging um, across an, across the business. You know, we now deploy hundreds of people across our business. 
in various locations around the world. And so, so that's an important component um, that there's n- less room for misinterpretation, shall we say, um, because you're not saying in this context you behave in this way and in this one, because you're ticking some box, you behave differently. It's this is our approach first and foremost uh, to how we uh, operate as a business. So, so number one, that. Number two, and I think this is sometimes forgotten, is maintaining these certifications is a cost. Um, and how do you do it in a way that um, minimizes, one, the cost, but actually enables us as an organization to demonstrate to our internal and external auditors, in this case, uh, BSI, that what we have done satisfies the appropriate standards. And I think that is really, really important because it, as I say, it reduces the cost of compliance and allows you to build that consistent protocol to run the business. And and, and what you're saying there, again, that totally resonates with the purpose for the harmonized approach. So allow that consistency. You know, the standards have been written to the point where clause for clause there, they are identical to allow that single approach to really facilitate what you were likely already doing. And now it becomes more straightforward. Again, this all relates to an understanding that the standards are there to support the business, not the other way around. So that way, then your main focus is making sure you've got a consistent approach to all key areas of the business. And as you said, cybersecurity, information security management is just one. For instance, there's another management system standard coming out this year for AI, another really critical area. And again, we've got that same approach that you can assess how to bring in such a new technology into your organization in that same consistent, risk-based, pragmatic approach with a common core at the top there to make sure it fits seamlessly into your business, not just into the management system per se, but into your business. That's absolutely the key here. Now, uh, Vipal, you've, you've talked there about pretty much as your organization is steeped in standards, really. I think it's the best way to describe it. I just wonder, as an organization, what's next for you in standards? Where do you go next? Well, we currently have five, which um, I wasn't sure um, (laughs) that we'd ever get to five. Um, But, you know, ultimately, you do as a business have to look at um, sort of why you do what you do. Um, But I think at the moment... um, what we want to do is continue to mature our systems um, because I think um, getting those, um, like some of the standards like our business continuity, we uh, we attained in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, now that people are back in the office, um, we just need to develop those as an example, just make them more robust in this changing world that we find ourselves in. Um, so that makes sure the processes are fully integrated um, because sometimes just because of the timing of when we uh, update our standards, and we do do it on an ongoing basis, um, I think it's that is our number one priority. And like all these things, the world that we operate in commercially changes, which will then perhaps be a driver on contemplating further standards but I think we have to build 
that successful organization first and foremost and then see whether the the standards that are out there are then appropriate to help us improve what what we're then doing now, David, we've talked a lot about obviously 27,001 and how, how it's an important um, management system standard and some of the changes that have taken place. And Vipol has described beautifully his, his experience as an organisation of using 27,001 alongside other standards. I just wonder where, where you know, what an organisation might consider next in this space. Well, it was great to hear Vipol saying first and foremost that keeping on top of what you've already done is an ongoing a very important process. So nothing stands still. And, and the example there of business continuity is, is maybe the dynamic, the work dynamic within your organization changes. Making sure that your current systems continue to be up to date with the very rapidly changing world is such a, such a key point. So a great point to raise there. And then when it comes to 27001 is effectively the rock on which you can build trust, particularly digital trust, within your organization. I mean, Vipul did also mention in passing 27701, which is around privacy. Now you think, oh yes, that's yet another standard, but it sits directly on top of 27001. It's an extension of the requirements in 27001 and the guidelines and reference controls in 27002. And what that does, it gives an excellent framework for managing privacy issues, which are becoming increasingly more complicated, particularly in a multinational environment. And when I say multinational, that might be down to not just what clients you're working with, but also who you use as a supplier, what happens to your data within the organization? Does it you know, does it go offshore to where? Who has visibility of it? So 27701 is a natural um, um, step on from that that builds on everything you've done in 27001 and then includes the privacy aspects. The other clear area is around use of cloud. Now, there is another relatively straightforward extension of 27002, the reference controls and guidelines you use within 27001, which is 2717, and that's cloud. And many people think that's for providers, but there's lots of really good guidance there for users of cloud, which is seen right now as one of the biggest risk areas within within a business. So that then becomes another straightforward. It takes everything you've done in 27,001 and says, when it comes to cloud within your organization, here's just some extra guidance around the controls you've already implemented for making sure you're protecting yourself when it comes to cloud management. So those would be two obvious ones that build on everything that you've done already with 27,001 and start to address specific areas of concern, such as privacy and um, use of the cloud. My thanks to David and Vipul for sharing their insights and experiences, and passion too, not just for 27001, but for standards generally. Now, for more information about 27001 and for those stories in the Standards Desk of News, then check out the links in the show notes. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Subscribe to The Standard Show now, wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production.